Good evening. Good to be with you tonight. Uh, glad that we can be back together to uh, worship and study another portion of God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Mark chapter 9. We'll start in verse 14 here in just a few minutes. Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 844. Mark chapter 9, verse 14, page 844. Uh, we uh, certainly have a lot of folks that are at camp this, uh, this afternoon, and we want to continue to remember them in prayer this week. Uh, I think there's supposed to be a little bit of rain up there this, uh, uh, this week, and if you've never been to Short Mountain, it's, it's on the side of a mountain. Uh, and when you see a storm on the side of a mountain, it's a little different than uh, down in the valley. So, uh, you know, they're supposed to have some storms maybe tonight uh, and certainly at some point this week. So let's keep, them, uh, keep their safety in our prayers and certainly keep uh, the opportunity they have to grow closer together in our prayers as well. Uh, we're continuing the Look series, and today is Father's Day. We're going to look at a story that in my mind is uh, I can relate to uh, pretty well. Uh, there's, there's a father here, and it's not so much his, his fatherhood that I relate to, uh, though I certainly do in some ways, but it's his statement uh, that we read in verse number 24, Mark 9, 24, towards the very end of the verse. He says, I do believe, help my unbelief. Uh, and I don't know if this exactly applies to him, but when I read that and I think about my faith, there's certainly a, a growing um, uh, a growing faith, a faith that has been weaker at some points and has been stronger at other points, and, uh, and it's a process of continual growth. It is that sanctification that we spent time talking about several months ago, this, this process of believing and trusting and hoping in God in every form and fashion of our lives. So what I want to do this evening is to go through Mark nine fourteen uh, through 29, this whole passage here, this whole account of this event, uh, and talk about uh, who's there, uh, what can we learn from them, and then to take uh, two application points uh, that you can apply to your life as we uh, uh, leave tonight. So uh, to set the stage a little bit at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, it's, it's crazy to me that uh, we're going to read these, there's two passages, two events that are covered in Mark chapter 9 uh, in these, these first 29 verses and, and eat, just one of them would be a completely packed day, you would think, if you were Jesus or if you were living in this kind of, uh, this, this time frame. Uh, the first one is the, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John and they go up on the mountain and Moses and Elijah appear to him and God speaks to them from the clouds and you would just think, well, that was a pretty full day, right? And we don't know exactly how long this interaction action takes on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, but you would think emotionally, especially for Peter, James, and John, even for Jesus, you know, uh, dealing with and interacting with Moses and Elijah face-to-face in whatever form they took, uh, and then his father speaking to him from heaven, you would think that's, that's a pretty full day. Uh, and then as we get to verse 14, they're returning from that huge event, not only uh, a big event for that day, but this is a big event uh, theologically. Uh, you know, the, the, the purpose of the Mount of Transfiguration in the minds of Peter, James, and John, really the reason we have it recorded in Scripture is to show uh, them in, in that day and then further us today, certainly, uh, that Jesus is greater than the law and the prophets. Moses would have represented uh, the law of the Old Testament and Elijah, the foremost or one of the foremost prophets of the Old Testament, he would have represented the prophets of the Old Testament. And when you read that phrase, the law and the prophets in the Bible, uh, most of the time you read that in the New Testament, that is referring to what we would consider all of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Now there are history books and there are other books, but, but generally when, when you read that phrase, they're referring to the old covenant, the old word of God, what we would consider to be uh, the Old Testament. So it's a, it's a big day already, uh, and then they get down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's where we pick up in verse 14. Okay, so we're thinking about this look series. What do we see? What do the people who are there see? And what can we learn uh, from what they interact with? Okay, verse 14. 
And when they, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, uh, came to back to the disciples from the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Okay, so there is basically everybody who's going to be uh, in, in the story, in the, the account here. You've got Jesus, uh, he's got his, uh, three of his apostles with him that are coming back from the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got a large crowd, that's nothing new. Uh, Jesus, this is not early on in Jesus' ministry, this is not at the very end of Jesus' ministry, it's probably towards the end of Jesus' ministry uh so it's 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 right there in the middle of the of his popularity when lots of people are following him and lots of people are interested in him but also when lots of people are not starting to not like him namely the pharisees and the sadducees and the scribes okay so uh it's right in the thick uh, of jesus ministry this is what's going on here so we've got the crowds you've got uh the disciples you've got the scribes notice again here in this this these verses it's going to use the word disciples not apostles and there is a difference there. Anytime it uses the word apostles, it's referring to the 12. Anytime it uses the word disciples, probably includes the 12 most of the time when they're there. But it includes a, a, large, a larger number than just the 12. Uh, men and women, perhaps, uh, that are following along and being with Jesus. So this is, this is where we're at. We've got the crowd, we've got the disciples, we've got the scribes. Uh, and then in verse uh, number uh, 15, it says, immediately uh, the, the entire crowd saw him. They were amazed and they ran up and they were greeting him. And he asked them, okay, probably asking his disciples here, what are you arguing with them? What are you arguing about? What's the subject of conversation that you guys are talking about? And we really, Jesus really never gets an answer there, right? There's really never an answer here. And we really don't, we really don't hear from the scribes throughout the rest of this. So we don't, we don't know what the scribes have really said. What happens is this father shows up and he tells them what's happened, that he has a, a son who's possessed by a demon uh, and he says, I, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. So our assumption is, well, that's what they're arguing about. They're arguing about the fact that this, uh, that this father brings his son who's possessed by a demon. He asked them to cast the demon out and he can't do it. They can't do it. And none of the disciples, uh, we're assuming here again that some of the other apostles are there. Peter, Andrew, or Peter, James, and John are up on the, the mountain, but the other nine apostles seemingly we would assume are there and not even they could cast out this demon so we it seems as if we're not told directly but it seems as if that's what they're arguing about okay uh verse 16 again he asked him what are you arguing about and one of the crowd answered him teacher i brought you my son uh possessed with a spirit which makes him mute okay notice these things about as we think about father's day and fatherhood and this father and his his journey of faith that we read in just these few verses okay he's got a son who's possessed by a demon uh, again, a, a, or a spirit, uh, again, a thing that we struggle really to understand everything that that means. And I don't know that we can, we certainly aren't tonight going to adequately even attempt to explain that. Uh, but something that, that they had to deal with that we simply don't deal with today. But here are the symptoms of this demon or this spirit possession, okay? It makes him mute, the end of verse 17, verse 18. And when it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. And he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. The father says, I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. Okay, so again, imagine that you're this father. You know, certainly we could even say, imagine you're the son, and that would be a whole other conversation that, you know, and again, the, th the things that we don't understand about what that looks like and, and how that happened. And it says when it seizes him, so is it, does that mean that it, at some points he has control over himself and at some point he doesn't have control over himself? That seemingly is what's going on here. But imagine being the father who... There's nothing you can do. You know, we've all had at some points in our lives sick children, 
and we want to help them and we want to do whatever we can for them. And especially, you know, when they're really young and they can't tell you what's wrong, what do they do? They're just crying, right? And you, you, you desperately want to know what's wrong with them so that you can help them in some form or fashion. Well, with this, this boy who's possessed by a spirit, there's nothing the father can really do. Uh, the spirit takes control over it, seizes him, and all of these things happen. He doesn't speak. Maybe that's all the time, uh, but it slams him to the ground. He, he foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid, and he says, I, I told your disciples um, to, to cast him out, and, and they couldn't do it. And then Jesus has an interesting uh, response that I want us to dig into a little bit and, and think about a little bit. And, and I don't, the things that we'll say about this, we, we can't say um, definitively whether or not this is true. But I think there's some evidence uh, that the reason why this might be happening, okay? Uh, so Jesus answers in verse 19, and he answers and said to them, okay, so the Father is speaking to him, but Jesus speaks to them. He speaks to the crowd, okay? He says, oh, but, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? Okay, well, that's one question. But then the next question is, how long shall I put up with you? Then he says, bring him to me. Okay, that, that seems that's not the answer we generally think about Jesus, meek and lowly, answering, right? But he says, how long am I going to be with you? How long do I have to put up with you? And what is it specifically that he, that he seems to be putting up with? Well, he describes them as an unbelieving generation, okay? Uh, I want to suggest to you tonight the possibility, and again, um, th- I cannot say this uh, definitively, but the possibility that one of two things I think is happening. At the very least, the scribes are arguing with Jesus' disciples about this demon-possessed boy who the, the demon or the spirit can't be cast out. They're at the very least taking advantage of that opportunity. Oh, you're a disciple of Christ, but you can't cast out this demon. Well, why can't you cast out this demon? I thought your Lord was all-powerful. I thought you could do these amazing things. At the very least, these scribes are taking advantage of this inability that Jesus' disciples, even seemingly some of his apostles, have. Uh, they can't do it. And so they're at the very least taking advantage of him. But I would not put in, this is the, the uh, thing I want to suggest to you tonight, at least to consider I would not put it past the scribes to have planted this man. For this to have been specifically a purpose, purposeful test. That the scribes find out where Jesus and his disciples are. And they bring this man who may legitimately, he may legitimately have a desire and have a need. But they bring him to Jesus. They bring him to the disciples to test Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, because of Jesus' response. You unbelieving generation. How long am I going to have to put up with you? Okay, again, it's. He seems to be kind of upset about this. We know his disciples believe. His disciples certainly believe, and they believe that he's the Son of God. They believe that he's the Messiah. So is he talking about them, or is he talking about the crowd at large? Is he talking about everybody, or is he talking about the scribes? All of those are possibilities, okay? But I wouldn't put it past the scribes to be testing Jesus because we know the Pharisees and the scribes test Jesus multiple times. Here are some examples of that. In Luke chapter 6 and in Mark chapter 3, there's a man with a withered hand who comes to the synagogue on uh, the Sabbath day. And they purposely watch him to see whether or not he'll heal on the Sabbath day. They're trying to trap him. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, there's an example. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not pay taxes to Caesar? They're asking him a politically charged uh, question so in the hopes that he will say something against Caesar so that they'll be able to get the Romans to turn on Jesus. Okay, so they multiple times try to trap Jesus. Also in Matthew chapter 22, so they, they try and tra- tra- trap him with taxes. Uh, they try and uh, trap him with uh, what will marriage be like in the resurrection. And they also try to trap Jesus um, with the greatest command. 
Uh, that's when the, the, the lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him a question. What is the greatest command? So, so we know that the scribes and the Pharisees and even the Sadducees come multiple times trying to trap Jesus. So in Mark chapter 9, at the very least, they're taking advantage of the opportunity of this man with a demon-possessed or a spirit-possessed son. Uh, but I would not put it past them based on Jesus' response. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? It, it seems as if, if this is the case. Uh, Jesus is saying, why in the world would you test me in this way? Why would you take advantage of this poor child and test me this way? Again, whether or not it was pre-planned, premeditated, or just a, an opportunity of, of, um, of, of a situation, I'm not sure. But either way, Jesus is, is bothered by it. They bring him the child in verse 20. It says, they bring the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And this is not a surprising um, response from the spirit. Just about every time a demon or a spirit comes before Jesus, there's a, there's a strong uh, response. Uh, most of the time, they, they call out and they identify Jesus as the Son of God. And they, you know, remember... Um, uh, and the, the one who's thrown into legion, who's thrown into the, the pigs, right? He says, don't, don't cast us out, uh, don't, don't hurt us, is, is seemingly what the, the demon is saying there. Cast us into the pigs instead. And, and multiple times in, in different situations, seemingly different spirits, different demons, if you will, uh, they, they recognize Jesus and there's a strong response. And here, the response is maybe the spirit's trying to flex his muscles and showing Jesus, hey, look what I can do. And he throws the, the child to the ground, he foams at the mouth, he's rolling around. And again, imagine being this father this father in the midst of this crowd who's bringing your son and we're not told exactly how old the boy is but he's still considered a child at this point uh bring he's a little older than childhood it seems from verse 21 uh, so maybe his teenage age something along those lines brings him to jesus hoping perhaps that something will happen uh and then even even in the presence of jesus the spirit seems to still have some sort of power okay uh verse uh, 21 and jesus asked the father how long has this been happening to him and he says from childhood and it has often thrown him into the fire okay so we read the symptoms earlier but notice the things that the um that the spirit does to this child is uh, he has been thrown both into the fire and into the water to destroy him but if you can do anything take pity on us and help us again Maybe during those times, uh, the spirit throws him into the fire. Maybe the father or whoever, you know, stand, people who are standing by grab him out of the, the fire and, and get him out as quickly as possible. He's thrown into the water to drown him, and they grab him out and get him out as quickly as possible. But imagine just all of the, uh, the stress that this situation has put this father and this family under. Uh, and then he says, again, in verse, uh, towards the end of verse 22, but if you, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I, I don't know the whole situation. I don't, I don't, at the very least, this man has probably heard about the amazing things that Jesus has done. And he has come seeking Jesus and his disciples to do something about it. And even if he's not a plant, even if it's not a, a plan of the scribes, when he comes to Jesus' disciples, and he's maybe even heard about how, you know, other, other disciples have been able to cast out demons, been able to do miraculous things in the past, when, when they're not able to help his son. Don't you think that he gets discouraged? Don't you think that he begins to lose hope? Uh, but it seems to be that there's, there's either a, a softening of his, his hardness, if, he's, if he is a plan, if he is testing Jesus, or there's a building up of faith uh, in Jesus and in who he possibly is. Because he's, he's saying, take pity on us, please help us. He's begging Jesus at this point. Jesus', Jesus response is in verse 23. 
Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And here's this statement from the father. Immediately, as soon as Jesus says, uh, anything, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now, that's, that's a, an interesting phrase, isn't it? I do believe. Help my unbelief. You know, what, what, did, Je- what did this man believe about Jesus at this point? Um, we don't know. We're, we're just not told. Again, he's probably heard of Jesus. Even, even if he is sided with the scribes or the Pharisees or any of those things, he's still heard about the things that supposedly Jesus has done. Maybe he's seen Jesus before. Maybe he's heard Jesus preach before. Uh, but he, 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 his faith is building. His heart is softening. His soul is begging. Please help us. I do believe. I know you can do something. Help my unbelief. And he says that because Jesus says all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. So we have this strong emotional reaction from the Father. Verse 25. Now when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsions. Okay, so again, the spirit uh, makes this noise, whatever kind of noise that would be. Maybe it's just the noise from the child. Uh, throws him into terrible convulsions. Uh, the spirit comes out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. Uh, so again, we've got these, this is a, an emotional roller coaster that we're going on. Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's seen uh, Moses and Elijah. God has spoken to him. Imagine what's going on in Peter's mind. Remember, Peter's always the one who speaks up, and, and Peter's the one who said, hey, let's, let's build some tabernacles to you three guys. You, you guys are awesome. Uh, and John says, no, uh, you need to listen to my son. He's He's the one, he's supreme uh, to Moses and Elijah. And then they come down and, and the disciples can't do anything about this, this terrible situation. And they hear about all the things that happened to this boy. And Jesus is bothered by the unbelieving generation that he's amongst. And whatever that may look like and what, for whatever reasons. Um, and then he, he tries to help the child. The spirit takes uh, control of the child again. And then when everybody sees, supposedly when the spirit leaves him, what do they think? Well, Jesus failed. He's dead. Right? And don't you know the scribes who have been arguing with the disciples about this probably were probably starting to say, see, I told you, Jesus isn't all that great. Jesus isn't all that powerful. They might even argue, hey, he killed the boy. Why would you follow that guy? He's not all that strong. Verse number 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he stood up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why were we not able to cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Um, so again, in verse 28 and 29, we have another aside. But the, the boy is healed. Uh, again, imagine the crowd's response to that. Cheering and clapping and uh, patting Jesus on the back and, and pointing and looking and being amazed. And you know, we're, not, we're not told any of those details, right? But you've been in a crowd before when somebody's done something impressive, right? Especially unexpectedly impressive. You know what people respond like. There's no doubt something like that was happening. People were cheering and clapping and, and, and being excited about it and looking to try and see Jesus and probably going to the boy and checking him out and all the, all the things. They were just completely amazed by that. And then verse 28 and 29, again, we have this kind of aside. It says, when they come into the house. Now, we're not told where they're at specifically here, uh, but maybe it's wherever they're staying. Maybe they're going for a meal, whatever it is. When they come into the house, the disciples, uh, the ones who could not cast out the demons, they're concerned about it because previously they have had power over demons. They have had power to, uh, to heal people and do those types of things. So they're concerned, hey, we've done this before. Why couldn't we do it here? 
Uh, and again, Jesus' response is, he said to them, this kind, okay, this kind of demon, this kind of spirit, this kind of situation, we're not exactly told what Jesus is talking about here, but this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Uh, go back up to verse 23. Um, again, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And then verse 24, immediately the boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. Um, this is a whole situation that it, uh, it's a question that is hard for us to, to really dig into and, and answer fully tonight. Um, but this, this, this response from Jesus to his disciples, this kind only comes out by prayer. Some of your versions may say uh, prayer and fasting. Um, uh, the, the fasting there, I don't know that that's wrong, uh, but it's not in, in some of the oldest manuscripts. Okay, uh, So that, that may have been a, a, a parenthetical note from, from a, a later scribe or something along those lines. But in most of the oldest script manuscripts, fasting is not actually there. Uh, so just something of note. Um, and, and we look at, so, so when, he's, when Jesus says this kind cannot come out with anything but prayer. Okay, well, what does that mean? Because questions that I have about it. Well, I didn't see Jesus pray. Did you see Jesus pray? Okay, does Jesus have to pray? I mean, he's the son of God. Okay, good point. All right, so maybe he doesn't have to pray. Certainly, if it's prayer and fasting, well, Jesus didn't take the time to, to fast in that moment, right? So that, that wouldn't seemingly make a, a connection there. Um, it, it, you know, Jesus' response is, uh, how long will I deal with you, you unbelieving generation? Well, is he, again, I, I don't think that he's talking about the disciples there because the disciples, certainly the apostles especially, they believe in Jesus. They've dedicated their lives to Jesus. They're following Jesus from place to place. And again, not just the 12, but, you know, tens of others, including some women who are following him from place to place. Uh, so, uh, so what is this unbelieving generation? And what is this, what is this, uh, this prayer? This, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Again, if we go to verse 24, uh, 23 and 24, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out, I do believe help my unbelief. Is that the prayer that's needed? Is that the, the faith that's needed in order for this type of thing to happen? I don't know specifically, but, but I think that does line up a little bit with James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, uh, that you're pretty familiar with, James 1, 6 through 8. Uh, but he must ask in faith. Okay, but before this, it's, it says, if any of you lacks this wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it to him. But he, if you're going to ask for something of God, you must ask in faith, doubting nothing. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So two things that I want us to think about from, from, this, uh, from this passage, from this account. Okay, first of all, uh, meeting Jesus softens the heart. Meeting Jesus softens the heart. Uh, this, this father, uh, whether he was, cer- certainly if he was a plant, but even if he wasn't, after he was no doubt discouraged extremely by the fact that the disciples could not cast out this demon, well, then Jesus shows up. And then Jesus asks some questions. And then Jesus has some words. And this, this father seemingly at least comes back from an extremely discouraged state. And he says, if you can do anything, if I can do anything, all things are possible to him who believes. I do believe, help my unbelief. He is pleading with him, take pity on us and do something. So meeting Jesus softens the heart. Well, what does that mean for us? What's the application for there? What's your job, Christian? Your job is just to introduce people to Jesus. Meeting Jesus softens the heart. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus. And this is a good story that it demonstrates the, the growth in faith that this father had. Even if he's not coming as an enemy, he's coming as someone who struggles with his faith. 
But meeting Jesus softens his heart and increases him. And then number two, as we think about especially those last couple verses paired with the, the passage in James, think about the power of prayer and our role in praying. Jesus says of this demon who apparently was, uh, or this spirit who was more, more powerful, uh, there was something different about him. Jesus said, well, well, this kind only comes out through prayer and maybe fasting. Well, there's, there's, that means there's power in prayer. And then, uh, well, what kind of prayer? Again, we go to James and it says, uh, when we pray to God, and certainly something for us to think about, you know, we encourage folks to pray all the time. I hope that you, I hope you have a great prayer life, but a great prayer life isn't simply the, the quantity of prayer that you have, how often you pray. It's also the faith with which you pray. James says, if you ask anything of God doubting, the result is don't expect to get anything. So my question for me and my question for you would be, how often have our prayers stopped at the ceiling because we didn't really believe that God would do anything? If you ask without faith, don't expect to get anything. But if we really believe that there is a God who answers prayer, uh, then we should be confident in our prayers and, of course, always praying for God's will ultimately. And that doesn't mean that all of our prayers are going to be answered. Yes, we understand that. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but recognizing and understanding that I believe there is a God who hears my prayer and will do what's best for me. And this, this father, again, is another great example of that. I, I do believe, help my unbelief. God, please be with me and, in strength, and, and, and strengthen and encourage my faith. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come to you this evening. Lord, I thank you for the story that we read about in Mark chapter 9 about a man, a real man, who a couple thousand years ago met your son Jesus and had a son who was in a terrible state. And uh, we, we struggle with knowing and understanding perhaps what that would have been like. Maybe some of us can can wrap our minds around it in some form or fashion, but we struggle really what that would have been like as a father, as, a, as an individual to know someone and love someone who was experiencing such a thing. Lord, we understand and can feel the, the pain that the father was going through and, and understand the, the struggle of his faith that he had. And, and Lord, maybe, maybe not in a situation like that, but probably for each of us in our lives, we've, we've had struggles, we've had doubts, we've had crisis of faith uh, where things aren't going our way or we don't understand why things have happened the way they've happened or we don't think that we deserve this or deserve that perhaps, God. Uh, but Lord, help us to know uh, that you are powerful and that even in this moment, you hear our prayer. Lord, uh, for that reason, we, we pray for uh, people that we know that are sick we ask you to act in their lives. We thank you for the, uh, the knowledge and the wisdom of medicine that you've given to us, and we pray that certainly that will work. And, Lord, we pray for all things according to your will, but we pray that those who are sick will get better. Lord, we pray for the lost. We pray for our neighbors who are lost, our coworkers, our family members who don't have a relationship with you. And, Lord, we pray that we will introduce them to your son and share the gospel with them, Lord, but... We know because your word tells us that we may plant the seed, but you will give the increase. And Lord, we ask you, we pray to you, fully confident that you will 
We pray that you'll act in the lives of people that we know. Each of us tonight could name a name or to name uh, tons of names of people that we know that are lost, that we would love to, uh, for them to be saved, to have a relationship with you, to be your child, to be a follower of Jesus. And Lord, I, we don't pray this prayer just because it's what we're supposed to do in church. We pray this prayer because we love the lost. And we know you love the lost. And we want them to go to heaven. And we pray that you'll help us to do our part, but our part's not enough. We ask you to act. Lord, we pray that you'll be with relationships in our lives that are broken, uh, that haven't been what we want them to be and what you want them to be. Whether that's between our parents and our children or our loved ones or coworkers or next-door neighbor or whoever it is, Lord, you know all of those situations and, Lord, you know all of the details. God, in, in lots of those instances, we have experienced times when, when we don't see a way forward, but we know that you can bring a way forward, and we pray that you will. Father, I pray that you will bless those situations and bless those people. Lord, in all aspects of our lives, in everything that we do, uh, in every part of who we are, Lord, I pray that you will be active. I pray that, you will, that we will allow you to be, that we won't try and do things all by ourselves, that we won't try and think that we are enough without you, but, Lord, that we'll recognize we have a great need for you. Lord, help us to do all things for your good, your glory, God. And we pray that you will act for our good, God. Lord, be with us tonight and help us as we strive to serve you and follow you each and every day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, if you don't have a right relationship with God, if uh, you're not where you need to be with God, um, there is a God in heaven who loves you. uh, And he knows everything about your life. He knows everything that's going on. And he somehow loves you anyway, right? Uh, just like your spouse may love you anyway despite, all, despite your weaknesses or your children or your parents or any of those things, God loves us perfectly. Uh, but he also expects us to live our lives in response to that, to be obedient to the gospel and obedient to him. Uh, tonight, if that's not where you're at, why not make a change tonight? If you're a Christian, are you following Jesus? Does your life look like his life? If it doesn't, then there needs to be some adjustments. If you're not a Christian, uh, then why not? Why not tonight? Uh, Do you believe Jesus is the resurrected Son of God? Will you name him as the Lord of your life, turning from the world and turning towards him? Will you submit to baptism where all your sins are washed away and you can become a new creature? If you need anything tonight, we as your family want to help you in whatever ways we can. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.